Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated and committed and focused to identifying a many, many variety of options that are helping individuals find ways to reverse whatever symptoms they might be experiencing that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I've been hosting this particular radio show now for eight marvelous years. We have over 255 interviews that are all available for replay. Those of you who are not familiar with Parkinson's recovery know that I've really interviewed on my show all of the, could I label them as movers and shakers, the individuals who really are making a significant, big difference to making contributions on what anyone can do to find relief from whatever symptoms they might currently be experiencing. I cast a very large net to be able to identify individuals with many, many, many different perspectives, experiences. We talk with professionals that are healthcare professionals. We talk with individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. If you're wondering, my goodness, I wonder if anyone has ever succeeded in reversing their symptoms. Well, you'll get the answer to that today in this particular program. But I've also aired over 75 interviews with individuals diagnosed with Parkinson's disease who report the many different natural ways that they have found have made a huge difference to their ability to be able to get relief from whatever symptoms they might currently be experiencing. Now, I mentioned that the categories of guests are, are, are broad-ranging. The guest today falls into two of those particular categories, of all things. That's kind of rare, I must say. And first of all, he's a medical doctor. And second of all, he's a person who has been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So you get uh, two in one, so to speak. So I want to thank you, Dr. Chris Hagesis, for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. It's it's always my pleasure, Robert. I've been on the show before, and you have you provide a service that is not equal anywhere on the internet. And bless you for getting word out from competent alternative healers about things that they can do other than traditional Western medical approach. It is indeed an honor and a privilege, Chris. Tell us all about yourself. Okay, you know. Uh, would love to talk about myself, but I'll talk about my Parkinson's basically and myself. Uh, I grew up in North Dakota. I went through medical school and went directly into the military for the Vietnam War. Spent time as a Marine Corps flight surgeon. Uncertain what to do, I ultimately uh, specialized in psychiatry. And a lot of psychiatry that have interested me were, of course, the very depressed, but also the relationship between mind and body. And then I had an unusual gift come to me later in life, and that was uh, Parkinson's disease. And, oh, my gosh, Parkinson's disease for me has been a gift that keeps on giving. And the reason is, is that I understand better and better about how the mind and the body work. And I, in my life, have been very successful with Parkinson's disease. My first non-motor symptoms appeared in 2004 in the form of not being able to smell. 
many folks can relate to that. 2008, I developed constipation that was really rough and has remained so forever. 2011, I began to get involuntary movements in my right hand. 2012, a neurologist did say, yes, you have Parkinson's disease. And there was a pivotal moment because uh, I asked him what I could do. And uh, he, he was a fairly athletic guy. And he said, you know, the only advice I have for you is exercise, exercise, exercise. He said it three times. And we discussed medicines and thought, well, we'll try a little something here and there. And I tried Azelect for a while. It was very expensive and I had some side effects. And I tried Amantadine and it seemed to help the tremor in my leg, but uh, it didn't keep on working. And then I did the levodopa for about four days, didn't find any improvement. And I just decided I'm going to go it on my own as much as I can. At that time, I was not very well informed about Parkinson's disease, but in my mind, on the night of my diagnosis, a critical thing happened in my mind, in my thinking. I sat down at my kitchen table. I looked at my diagnosis, and I said, what am I going to do? And I looked at Parkinson's not as a curse, not as a terminal illness, but as a challenge. And I said, well, exercise, I already exercised pretty, pretty good, but um, I need to increase the aerobic part of my exercise, which I then did. I said, I should get stronger. So I went and started weightlifting. And then the other one was, I said, I'm going to take yoga. I'd not done a stitch of yoga, and I was 70 years old. And uh, by the following year, I was much better. My tremor in my right leg had virtually disappeared. I continued to have a tremor in my right hand, my right arm. Uh, my, I worked very hard on correcting my walking posture and gait, and it was improving a lot. And with uh, help from my wife, I recognized that I had to reverse my face because I looked so, I had that mask-like stone face. After a year, I made a website because my neurologist said, I haven't seen anybody like you. You're not on any medicine, and you're doing better than anybody in my practice. So I, I thought that the key idea that I was discovering was sweating. I felt that if I exercise hard enough to sweat, that that must be where some of the benefit comes. And so I called my, my grouping of ideas sweating out Parkinson's disease. And actually, you know, in retrospect, that was a pretty good, a pretty good concept. But in the ensuing two years, I continued to get better. My tremor was more and more limited to my right hand and my right arm. I can live with it. Uh, my gait was good. In that time, I climbed the 14,000-foot mountain here in Colorado. I remained phys physically active. And many people, when they met me, and I told them I had Parkinson's, they said, oh, I couldn't tell. So... Uh, about two years ago, I began to analyze more why I was doing better because I was trying to meet people via the Internet and discuss disease and come up with coaching schemes and stuff. And an uh, idea struck me right between the eyes. And especially now, and in, the, in the years since I was diagnosed, the concept of exercise has exploded. 
I mean, there there were people five years ago whose neurologists never said a word about exercise. Well, they're all saying words about exercise now. But I I felt that the exercise had, before you got to the exercise, you had something going on with your mind. And I'm not talking hocus-pocus mind. I'm not talking about some kind of uh, ritual. I'm talking about what you think about yourself deep down inside. And that's where I think the biggest problem is for people with a diagnosis of Parkinson's. And uh, unfortunately, the dark prognosis is uh, instilled by most neurologists without knowing it. Now, I'm going to be somewhat critical of neurology here, and I don't want you to think that I'm being critical of all neurologists. I'm being critical of neurologists whose conduct has become apparent to me and to others. I think by and large, like any medical specialty, there are dedicated people, they're smart people, and they want to do best by their patients. But what happens to you when people get that, and I ran into this just no, no more than two weeks ago. When people get diagnosed, the neurologist goes through the physical examination and then usually puts down the computer and for the first time makes good eye contact and says in a low-toned voice, I'm very sorry to tell you, but you have Parkinson's disease. As you probably know, Parkinson's disease is incurable. It is irreversible, progressive, it is degenerative. You may not die of Parkinson's, but you will die with Parkinson's. And we have some medicine that can help, but it uh, only suppresses symptoms for a while. If that is, in fact, what a person with Parkinson's diagnosis is experiencing, it is as if they've been hypnotized. A self-fulfilling process prophecy has been implanted in their mind that's almost indelible. Other ways that they, people have this experience is that they saw somebody in their family or a neighbor or a friend with Parkinson's 10, 20, 50 years ago and they saw the ravages of this disease and the, the slowness and the agony. And that is their mindset. And I recognize now that before somebody gets going with exercise, they've got to change their mindset. They've got to change the way of thinking. And the way of thinking that needs to be instilled is this is a challenge. And I am not, I'm not going to be like the people that they predicted. I'm going to be different. And to do that, I'm going to get good exercise coaching, and I'm going to bust my butt. I'm going to exercise so hard that I sweat. I might wind up losing weight, and that's okay, but I see myself as a fit PWP, and I'm going to change the way Parkinson's is experienced by many, many people. That's where my head has come at this point in time. So I renamed my my process, my website, to Shifting the PD Mindset, or ShiftPDMind.com. And the website continues to be a work in progress. But I'm trying to communicate to people the importance of understanding what's in their deepest mind they are thinking about their future. 
two weeks ago, I just had a tragedy, and I, I made a podcast calling, and I'm mad as hell. A woman who had been to our support group, I run our support group in our community, Fort Collins, Colorado, and we, we have as high as 95 people coming to our meetings, and so it's very successful. This woman had been to the meeting, but uh, her husband had not, and I happened to be at the hospital uh, getting a getting a shoot flu shot, and as out in the hall, and she came walking by, and she said, "Oh, Dr. Hagaseth, I've been to your your support group, and my, my husband has Parkinson's, and we're just hoping that he can get to talk to you." I said, "Well, of course, any time." Well, she said, "Well, here he's coming down the hall now, and uh, he he he's." His attitude is very poor, and he had a broken hip, and I, I wanted to talk to him. And this guy was wheeled up to me in a wheelchair. He was being discharged, and he looked like somebody with advanced Parkinson's, slumped, tremor in the jaw, drooling, slow to look up, depressed, mostly unshaven, and I started chatting with him, and I said, uh, how long ago were you diagnosed? And he said, seven months. And he was like 73 or so. And I said, well, what did they tell you when you were diagnosed? They told me that it is all over, meaning his life. I became very angry as you'd like to use profanity, effing mad. Because this guy, any potential of him thinking that he could do better had been destroyed in that moment. And it's going to take a lot to turn it around. So that's basically my story and where I'm at, and I'm going to stick to it. You're listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show Network. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Dr. Chris Hagaseth. So, Dr. Hagaseth, why aren't you taking any medication for Parkinson's disease? The better question is, why would I take any medicine for Parkinson's disease? I'm doing well. Uh, I'd say Azelect is the one medicine that I think has a real purpose for people to, uh, to use because I think the science on it is that a number of people do have a slowed uh, course uh, of deterioration because of their being on Azelect. But uh, if you look at the studies, just like any study, is that there are a lot of people who didn't get better and there are a lot of people who did get better. And if you take the average, you find that the average person got better. Well, now that I'm doing as well as I'm doing, I don't want to have any other explanation around to account for why I'm doing well. I want the reason I'm doing well to be what I've done with my mind and what I'm doing with my body. So if I started Azelec, then they'd say, well, you don't know whether the Azelec would help. Now, I happen to now be starting a one-man campaign that is uh, asking neurology to re-examine the early prescription of levodopa. Because your listeners who are familiar with Parkinson's, I'd say most of them are on Cinemed, 
and that the component in cinnamon that we need to address is levodopa. Now, levodopa is a, a medication that after a number of years, usually about five, it begins to evoke permanent changes in the brain that result in a new movement disorder called dyskinesia. And dyskinesia isn't the Parkinson's. It's a writhing motion, jerking, uh, twisting of the head. And if you pay attention to Michael J. Fox, you're going to notice that he has far more movements of dyskinesia than he does of Parkinson's. And so now that we understand the importance of exercise, I am going to lead a movement that's going to say, make sure that people exercise enough, hard enough, vigorous enough, really pounded. Because I think, I, well, no, I know, I've seen people that are exercising with Parkinson's, but they're going through the motions. We have a, we had a boxing group, and there are a few people who did really well, but then there's some people that get in and, they box with a mindset that they're defeated. They barely hit the bag, and they, you know, they, they don't get into it. And I believe, my opinion, untested scientific, but my belief is that if we can get people motivated to really exercise hard, I have, um, when I first started uh, weightlifting after my diagnosis, I did not do well. But I now got teamed up with a bodybuilder, and oh my God, I'm just I'm just burning it up. And in fact, yesterday at our monthly meeting, I got up on stage and knocked out 30 push-ups in less than a minute, and felt great and bounced to my feet. That's not bad for having Parkinson's for seven years and being 77 years old. So I don't take any medication because there's no reason to. Do you use supplements? Sparingly. I have, uh, I think one of the best pieces of data that I've seen has to do with vitamin D3. And I am taking 10,000 units of vitamin D3. And uh, the, the experts who recommend this, I think of Lori Mishley, of course, who many people know, who's a naturopath, it seems to be that that high a dose is justified. How is it healthy? Darned if I know. I think it did, but I know there's good argument for it. I do regularly take uh, multivitamins, and uh, right now I'm taking a um, saw palmetto because of my prostate, and that's about it. I I think that there is an argument in favor of a lot of supplements. But again, uh, when I looked at my life and said, if I'm going to be a model to people who want to do so well like I'm doing, if I'm taking supplements, we're going to ask the question, well, maybe it's the supplements that are making the difference. And so, no, I'm, I don't discourage people from supplements although I do ask that they read carefully about them in, in, in books. And uh, the, one of the best books I know of right now is written by a neurologist named Monique Giraud. 
and it's called Optimum Health and Parkinson's. And she has the most thorough, scientifically-based explanation of supplements that I've found. And so for people who are inclined to do that, that's fine. I had a fellow a couple of years ago who was spending $250 a month on supplements. And I explained to him that I didn't think they were making that much difference. He went off them for three months and felt better. And he said, you know, you saved me 750 bucks. So my mind is open, but for me, I'm not going to use them. I want to prove that my improvement is due to what I do with my mind and my body. Chris, what is your diet like? That's an interesting question because uh, I've never been a person who adhered to a real healthy diet. I wasn't unhealthy, but you know, I, I, I love gluten. I've eaten my share of sugar in my life. I like red wine a lot, beer. Um, but gradually, my diet has shifted. It's become more simple. And having done some reading, and then my wife also is uh, moving towards vegetarianism, we've just gradually moved towards being vegetarian. Uh, my meat is two to three times a week I have salmon, and I think that is probably one of the best uh, supplements people can take, not supplements, diet. In fact, I, the latest reading is that fish oil may not provide what people hope they would get from the capsules and that salmon is the best way to go. I eat beef maybe once a month, pork if I'm at a ball game and I have a hot dog. Carbs, I have uh, gone to more complex carbs. I have uh, just about eliminated all sugar from my diet. And so um, it's a pretty healthy diet. Um, I, but I, it, it, it isn't rigid at all. And uh, I don't know, it's age and mentality. For some reason, I'm not as interested in eating the flesh of other creatures now as I was when I was a younger man. Chris Hackesses, you've talked about the importance of exercise, exercise, exercise. What do you do for exercise? Okay. Uh, my number one exercise, and this is one that I will I will get on a pulpit and I'll preach it in Times Square, is walking. But it's not strolling. It's not ambling. It's not, not just, just walking. It's walking mindfully. What I mean by mindful walking is it does me no good to walk with the symptoms of Parkinson's. If I don't have much arm swing, I'm slouched over, I walk slowly with small steps, I can walk that way the rest of my life and I'm not going to get better. I need to walk as if I do not have Parkinson's disease at all. That means I have to be conscious, mindful of what my body is doing. And so when I walk, and I mean this is every time I walk, when I get out of my car at the grocery store, I am conscious of how I walk. And the compliments are, when I get out of the car, I stand straight. And fortunately, I was a Marine in my life, and so I know how to stand real straight. And I pull my shoulders back, and I pull my shoulders down, and I lift my chin up, and so there is no bend in my neck and bowing of my head. I am straight. 
I usually take a good breath, and then when I start walking, again, I'm keeping my eye not down on the ground in front of me, but out ahead, and I take long strides. Long strides. Uh, Monique Giroux in her book pointed out that the rate, the speed of walking and the length of stride in, in seniors is correlated to the length of their life. People who walk with longer strides and faster live longer. We don't know if it's a cause and effect, but I find that I walk swiftly. And I use the word swiftly as a poet. It's not power walking. I'm not, I'm not getting hyped up. I'm just walking swiftly and long stride, but I make very clear that when, when, my, when, I, when I, my foot hits the pavement, it always hits heel first, and the foot rolls through and when I pick it up, I never scuff it. And because my right side is my weak side, I pay a lot of attention to the sound of whether my shoe scuffs the ground. So my walking then is being erect, good posture, long strides, swiftly. And curiously, one of the last things you worry about when you comes to walking are your arms and hands. I'm not saying you don't, but if you put your attention on how you swing your arms to start with, you mess up your rhythm and your pattern in your feet. And so once a person is going, then I say, okay, accentuate your arm swing. And uh, accentuating arm swing, this is a little thing, it's, it's uh, hard to explain, but most people think if they're going to accentuate their arm swing, they're going to swing it forward more vigorously. And curiously, you get a better effect if you swing it backwards more vigorously because then the other side swings forward more vigorously. So it, it, it's a paradox. But that walking and walking like that for two and three miles, most days is, I think, the single most important thing that I've done to help my recovery. Now, I have done a couple other things, and that is I uh, had some problems orthopedically, and so I did some swimming, and I, I got myself to the point that I could swim uh, a good a good stroke and, and get um, there were all big benefits from it. I, I don't like the swimming pool as well, and swimming doesn't mimic the emotions of walking, but nonetheless, it still is good for your body. I don't run anymore, but that's because of orthopedics. I've got three knee surgeries and two foot surgeries, and jogging is pretty hard on me. Curiously, I don't bike, but that's because I, my knee injury is, unlike other knee injuries, most people can bike but not run. Well, I can't bike either. So walking is number one, and now my new one is bodybuilding, and I am getting addicted to bodybuilding. I have a coach who is a professional bodybuilder and who has dedicated his life to helping people like me or people with Parkinson's and other things, multiple sclerosis, to use his knowledge of using resistance training, that's weights, to strengthen. And I noticed when I got going, I've done about six months now, and I noticed that my balance is considerably better. And I distinguish balance into two forms. 
static balance. That's when I'm in yoga, I'm standing on one leg. That has not improved very much. It's a little better, but it's not great. But the dynamic balance, which is when you're moving and and stumbling, I recently completed a seven and a half mile hike in the mountains with my wife. And in that time, I had a near stumble one time only. And I attribute that to my weightlifting program. And so uh, weightlifting, one of the big things important about it is uh, if you're like me, you might be too macho, but you might try to lift too much weight. Don't do that. Lift weights that you can lift and have 15 reps. And don't go for the big weights. Go for the slightly lighter weights that you can do a lot of reps with. Follow the instructions of a good instructor. And there's also a wonderful website called bodybuilding.com. If you want to see how to do a lot of the exercises, they're all available there. So that pretty much takes care of what my exercise is. But I, I play. And one of the things I did recently with playing wasn't two exercises. I got into one of those uh, vertical wind tunnels where it's like jumping out of a plane, but you're in a wind tunnel. And so I had 120-mile-an-hour wind, and I was free-falling. And it's a hoot. And I think people have to remember exercise isn't like killing snakes. You're supposed to have fun. You're listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Chris Hagaseth. Chris, do you meditate? I do. And to know the role of meditation is a little hard to tack down. But because I know the importance of mind, there is no discipline better for the mind than meditation. And uh, in particular, anxiety. Anxiety should not be treated with medications unless it's early on and has to be done. Because the most natural way to deal with anxiety is to learn how to moderate your own sympathetic nervous system. And that doesn't come by thinking. That comes by breathing. And I studied it very, I studied, well, I took meditation training earlier in my life several times and I never stuck. I never, I never got into it. But I read a book by John Kabat-Zinn called Full Catastrophe Living. And I recommend it. It's a big, thick book. Just read the first 150 pages. And it really gives the picture because he, uh, as a psychologist, became a Buddhist monk, then came back to the United States, stripped the Buddhist religion stuff out of the practices and applied it in Boston. And he has a thing called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And, oh, my God, that stuff works. And his most common uh, subject are people with chronic pain. There's no subject now more pertinent in today's media than chronic pain because Big Pharma said the way to treat chronic, chronic pain is with lots of opiates. And we know the catastrophe that's from that. And yet, if people stick 
with the mindful practices that they learn in meditation, 80 to 90% of people are able to get off opiates permanently. And I thought that for Parkinson's, because anxiety is, is present, especially if you have a mindset of fear, that to approach that mindset with meditation makes a difference. I can be tied up knots, and I can bring myself into a state of calm in five to ten minutes if I need to. And any time I am just waiting around, of course, most of the time, that's time to get on your cell phone and see who texted you or something. But I can use that ten minutes also to just close my mind, focus on my breath, and be and it tones down all of the alarm systems in my body. So, yes, I meditate. I meditate formally in a chair. Oh, by the way, yeah, posture is important in meditation, and that is don't try to be a lotus sitter. Unless you're a yogi, don't do it. Sit in a chair. I believe in a firm, hard chair with a straight back, hands on your lap, and meditate there. Not a not a bed, not lying down, but don't try to cross your legs and look like you're a swami or something. So meditation, I think it's good for everybody. You have made reference several times to the importance of the mind when it comes to recovery. What do you do with your mind? Good question. Well, first of all, um, I have a young dog who's mostly border collie. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we believe in training our dogs well. And when we go to puppy classes, you will see most people with their dogs pulling on the leash so hard they're dragging their owners with them. And it's only with study and concentration and practice that the dog learns ultimately to stop pulling, to finally walk at heel, to stay sitting when it's supposed to, and moving when you want it to. Well, I think that's the way the human mind is. And there are an awful lot of people whose mind is like a puppy, and it drags them everywhere. And often then drags them into areas of thought that are negative and uh, hopeless, and uh, self-fulfilling prophecies about dark nature. And so the mind needs to be disciplined, and that means I need to be careful what I read. I need to read uplifting, positive, scientific stuff. I think a mistake that people make with Parkinson's is that they read too much of the latest research and they, re- they read about every new medicine that comes out. And I think that's a waste of time. And if you're going to read about Parkinson's, read a book like uh, Bianca Mole's book, a woman who has recovered from Parkinson's using Qigong. I mean, there, that's the, those are the people you want to study. Those are the people you want to learn from. And... That's, it takes, you force yourself to be educated. And on my, on my website, 
I have a lot of uh, YouTube videos that I reference on different pages. And if people want to go there, they can find YouTube uh, TED Talks. There is so much good information out there. Oh, it is, it is just, uh, there's a woman who had a terrible stroke and how she overcame it. There are Norman Deutsch's records of people who have Parkinson's and who have done so well, like John Pepper, who we virtually all of us know. And that's where I put information into my mind that's good stuff. When I talk to young, when I look at young people and I look at the music they put in their minds and I look at the language they put in their minds and stuff like that, or when I see um, people politically putting uh, stuff in their mind that is focused entirely on how the other side is wrong, we, we lose our humanity. And so our uh, mind needs to be nourished with good stuff. And then I select people I talk with and I am careful to avoid dark hole people because they they go to a negative spot. Uh, and then meditation. And uh, with that would be prayer. I am careful to point to distinguish the two because prayer is a process that is religion specific and for many people it's very meaningful and that's good Uh, but if a person does not have a specific religion then the meditation is the way to go and yet I'll even say in most religions you will find a big group of people who meditate. Uh, Catholics have a thing called centering prayer they do. And in Islam, they have the Sufi mystics. And so, and of course, Buddhism is filled with it. So there are, there are many other cultural ways of going that involve, if not naming the origin or God, but uh, orient their meditation that way and it works for them, then that's great. But that's the thing to do with your, that I think is to do with your mind. A general alert to my listeners, Dr. Hegeseth has mentioned John Pepper, Bianca Molay, Lori Mishler, and others during his presentation so far. Each of these individuals have been former guests on my radio show. You can scroll back on the radio show page. There are 11 or 12 different pages, 20 interviews per page. You can locate interviews with these amazing individuals and truly get inspired. Chris, do you believe anybody can be as successful with Parkinson's disease as you have been? You know, that's a question I ask myself and do my best to be as honest. Um, I did not grow up an athlete. I grew up, uh, I was called a brain, but I was like a lot of smart kids in grade school and junior high, often uh, ostracized from groups because I I used too many big words. And uh, in college, I... Wasn't a, I wasn't a fraternity guy. I 
didn't socialize big. I was too busy being a pre-med student. Uh, I wasn't very physically adept. And uh, medical school, of course, taps your strength completely. And so I'd say that I had an image of myself that uh, was that I was a smart kid, but I was soft. And the word athlete, I would never apply. And then, because I did volunteer for military service during the Vietnam War, I wound up, uh, the Navy sent me to flight school. And I became a Navy flight surgeon. And that training was rigorous. And then I went with the Marine Corps. And that training was rigorous. And that changed my view of myself. And I began to see that, in fact, I am athletic. I am capable physically and so on. And it did wonders for my mindset. So I am reluctant to say that anybody can do it if they have grown up in a, um, in a role that was diminished by others or they were subject to other people's uh, ridicule. Because I know the enormous effects of, the, of their life in childhood. But um, I think if a person can grasp the importance of their mind, address the sense that they can do things that they don't think they can. The worst two words that anybody can utter, I consider them profane in Parkinson's disease is I can't because there's so much you can do. So in answer, being as honest as I can, I think a lot of people can do what I've done. And I think the difference is what they do in spite of their body and in spite of their past. I know it's just the nature of psychiatry. Not, I, I can't guarantee everybody will get better. And it, it does take a dedication. It takes, it takes um, intentionality. It takes intensity. And it takes repetition. I, I, don't take, I don't allow myself two or three days off in a row. I just don't. I make sure I keep going. And if people do that, I think that the number of people doing well could increase quite a bit. There is a distinction to be made, however, and that is between people early in the disease and late. Uh, I see less benefit for people who are plus five years in. Uh, they've been on a lot of meds. They're beginning to shift meds all the time and they're getting dyskinesias. Uh, I think they have an awful lot of water is flowing under the bridge. And I don't have a, the same degree of uh, optimism for their outcomes. The sooner people can learn and do what I do, the better. What advice do you have for people who are on medication and have had Parkinson's symptoms for several years? Okay, that follows just from what we were just talking about. While I don't hold the same um, hope, I know that what they do with their mind and their body still is the most important thing that they can contribute themselves. And I'm reminded of the words of Winston Churchill. Never, 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 never give in 
never. And so don't give in to passivity. Don't give in to I can't. Set shorter-term goals, but work with your body physically, whatever it is you can do. Uh, right now, I, I, I'm inspired. There's a woman in our group who's had uh, Parkinson's, and her form of Parkinson's is mostly rigidity, not much tremor, but she is, she's locked up. And she's working with my bodybuilding coach, and by gosh, she now goes from sitting in a straight-back chair with a five-pound ball in her hands, thrusting it forward and standing and going back and sitting down. This is a woman now that uh, couldn't walk anywhere without, without a cane. She's now walking without a cane and, and taking longer steps. So even then, and she's a person that never saw herself as athletic and she's late 60s a nurse so I still see quantitative improvements in people even if they've had Parkinson's and a lot of meds. Chris what do you tell individuals who are newly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? I tell them they got the best damn progressive neurological disease that they could ever have. Boy are you lucky. And I do say this. I use the exact phrases. I say, you don't have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. You don't have relapsing multiple sclerosis. You don't have some horrible brain tumor that's going to do something. You haven't had a stroke that has left you without the ability to speak. You've got Parkinson's disease. What's good about Parkinson's disease? You can change the course of it if you, if, if you really put your mind to it. The other diseases... Not so much, but this is a disease that we now know for certain that if you get involved and you really push it and you you become a drill sergeant for yourself and you study the right people, that this is a disease that you might find you can just have no impairment from at all. I have some impairment. My handwriting, I still haven't gotten that straightened out. And my hand tremors, but uh, I smile most of the time. Not always the time, all the time, but most of the time. I can walk well and far. I can do yoga uh, for an hour and 15 minutes and feel stretched and strong. Uh, and my mind is alive. And with respect to the illness, I'm optimistic. You know, again, you take a look at the diagnoses. You know, you get a John McCain glioblastoma. A, your your orientation is how do I have a handle in the next 12 months? Or you get some of these leukemias where you get bone marrow transplants. I just have Parkinson's disease. It is not interfering with my day-to-day life at all. And so that, that that's what I tell people. I tell them my story. You're connected with the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network, a repository of 250 interviews with amazing individuals just like my guest today, Dr. Chris Hegesis. So, Chris, what is your biggest criticism of neurologists today? The biggest criticism is, A, how they inform somebody that they have Parkinson's disease. 
that they're informing is basically pessimistic and that they don't push as hard as they should on exercise. Uh, they might just say, oh, you need to get some exercise. You know, you go, go do this or, you know, there's this or that. I want neurologists to be familiar with things like the PWR walking, uh, rock steady boxing, uh, my own mindful walking routines. Uh, everybody should be doing a uh, Tai Chi, Qigong, or uh, yoga. They should, and, and the doc, the uh, neurologist should be pushing this stuff. I want the neurologist to say, we can keep you off levodopa if you're willing to work hard enough. And I realize they may not agree with me. I'm saying something that's a her I'm a heretic, but I won't mind being a heretic because my guides work for me. And right now I've got about four or five people that are still seeing the neurologists, but they're following my suggestions and my story. And they're doing better and better, and they're not taking levodopa. So I, my, biggest, my biggest argument is, A, the pessimism, and B, not informing people that levodopa is, could be categorized as a dangerous drug, not in terms of addiction, but if 40% of the people taking the drug after five years begin to have involuntary movements that are as bad as a disease, I think informed consent demands that a neurologist should say, here are the potential outcomes that are taking levodopa. You need to be aware of them, and I'm going to you know, inform you. They need to make the patients aware of just exactly how many problems the traditional medical approach may create. Chris, what do you read? Well, I have already quoted a few of them that I read. Is uh, that Monique Giraud's book about uh, optimizing treatment of uh, Parkinson's? Uh, her last name is G I R O U X. And uh, there's a wonderful book that I've read recently entitled Suggestible You The Curious Science of Your Brain's Ability to Deceive, Transform, and Heal. And the author's name is Eric Vance. And I really recommend this book. Eric Vance is a, as he says, recovering Christian scientist. But he has uh, really done a terrific amount of research that's published by National Geographic. And his research is showing the things that happen with the mind that are mind-boggling. And uh, so his book is right there. And then um, Norman Deutsch's book, the second book, the most recent one, has uh, a description of John Pepper, is strongly to be read. And Lori Mishley's book. Uh, when people ask me about nutrition, I say, get Lori's book. I am not an expert on nutrition. Go to her. She, to me, is the source. I had the good chance of meeting her and talking to her after a meeting she spoke here at in Denver. And she's... Uh, She's a smart woman. She's um, a naturopath. And, you know, there's often a problem between naturopaths and physicians, MDs. And she has created some of the most very excellent scientific research funded by Michael J. Fox. 
I recommend her writing very, very highly. Oh, oh and then there's one more. Uh, it's called Cure. Let me see. I gotta, gotta tear my iPad here. Uh, oh, Cure. And the book, the author's name is Joel, J-O Marchant, M-A-R-C-H-A-N-T. She's a journalist uh, from London. And yet she has gone around uh, the world and interviewed people who have had remarkable uh, recoveries from a variety of things. And she makes us look carefully at the potentials of things that oftentimes have been poo-pooed. Let me just leave you with one quick uh, notable uh, story that I read out of one of these many books recently. Is there was a, a study being done of injecting some kind of solution, I don't remember whether genes or what, into the brains of people with Parkinson's. And to make that injection, they had to uh, put the person to sleep, put a bullet hole in the skull, introduce the needle into the right spot, and release the substance. And, of course, to have the double-blind study, they um, had to have sham surgeries. So some people just had the burr hole done, kept asleep at the same time, and they were not told which group they were in. And the doctors who did the surgery were not part of the research group, they, so they had no follow-up. And so at the end of two years, needless to say, like because of the placebo response, there was a significant number of people who were a lot better. And one man in particular was really better. He had returned to his previous level of function. He was running a marathon. He was running marathons. He was, he was like he, and he just said this, I, I, mean, I know I'm in that study group because I, uh, look at me. Well, when they unlocked the code and broke the study down, he was in the sham group. So nothing was done to his brain, physically or chemically. And yet, because of his conviction that he was getting the right thing, he has totally recovered from Parkinson's. That is the power of the mind. If we could learn how to harness that placebo response, what a wonderful outcome a lot more people could have. Chris, you made reference to a number of marvelous reading resources. Could you also list any other books you think persons with Parkinson's symptoms should read? Okay, let's see here. Um, I knew I had them. Oh, this here is a fun book. Parkinson's, you're kidding me, right? It's a, a humorous book, but still very serious by a woman named Cheryl Jedlinski, and it is a delight. It is uh, really fun, and she, she, she jokes a lot at herself about the, um, her Parkinson's and her symptoms, and she, it's a good read, and she's, uh, she, she's on top of it. And let's see. 
I believe that is, I think that's the group that I, that I, oh yes, um, uh, Shake, Rattle, and Roll, Living and Laughing with Parkinson's by Vicki Claflin. I uh, wrote a book on humor many years ago, and I'm right now working on a small book about humor and Parkinson's too, because I think incorporating humor into a positive mindset is an essential part of it. So that's about it. Chris Hackett, I want to thank you on behalf of our very large global audience for taking the time to share your experiences and the truly inspiring reports of how well you are doing and the specifics of what others can do to be able to help them find incredible relief from their own symptoms. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. And for those listeners, know that there's a link to his website as well as to his YouTube channel on this radio show page. And so by way of conclusion, Chris, could you spell very slowly your website address for listeners? www.shiftedmind.com. And again, thanks so much, Chris, for being here today. We greatly appreciate the update on how beautifully you have been doing. Your service that you provide, Robert, is of inestimable value to so many people. You're part of the whole movement. Thank you for your kind and thoughtful words, Chris. And that's what's happening here on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all of the women are smart, all of the men are, of course, handsome, and all of the children are truly and genuinely loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you've taken the time to listen to this inspiring and amazing interview with Dr. Chris Hagaseth, that you, along with him, are indeed, in your own way, in your own fashion, are on the road to recovery. We look forward to connecting with you for our next amazing radio show interview coming up next week. Good day.